Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. My name is Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It is day 758 of our three-year journey through the Word of God. We're into our third year now and uh, coming into the last third, we're in the last third of our time together. Daniel chapter 9 is before us today, a really important model prayer from the prophet Daniel uh, for us uh, to understand what it means to pray intercessory prayer on behalf of God's people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. We are so undeserving of your love. We are so um, weak and frail, and you are so strong and so kind and so loving and so good. So, Father, be with us and teach us from Isaiah 9. Write it on our hearts. Help us to understand it. Help us to learn how to pray. Help us to be more faithful in prayer for the time we spend together in your word. And help us to understand your ways, your heart, for your people better. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. 
Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own name's sake. O Lord, make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O Lord, make your face shine. O Lord, my God, O my God, sorry, verse 18, O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy, O Lord. Hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act, delay not for your own sake, O my God because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice, he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore, and understand, that from the going out of the word, to restore and build Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, Messiah, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many, for one week, and for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. That is Daniel chapter 9, and there is a very clear part of Daniel chapter 9, and there is a very unclear part of Daniel chapter 9, and we will do our best in a limited time 
to try to handle both of them. The clear part of this chapter is that we just have this really awesome model prayer from Daniel that, that teaches us much about how we are supposed to pray. So, first of all, we see that Daniel's prayer is prompted by the Word of God. And that is a pattern for us. We should be reading the Word of God, and we should allow the Word of God to bring us conviction and to prompt us to pray. Our prayers should be in response to the Word of God and not just in response to whatever it is that we think or we feel. Specifically, Daniel's reading Jeremiah. And Jeremiah had given a prophecy that Jerusalem was going to be taken into exile for 70 years. And in the first year of Darius, son of Ahasuerus, the Mede, when he becomes king over the realm of the Chaldeans, it's been 70 years. It's been 70 years since Daniel and his friends were taken captive. Daniel is now an old man. He is he is in his 80s for certain, might even be in his 90s. He's an old man. And he's saying the 70 years is up. And so we're not being restored in full. We're not seeing the glorious restoration of the city and of the kingdom. So what is going on? And so he turns to God. He turns to God and he seeks him with, with fasting and prayer and pleas for mercy, and with sackcloth and ashes. This shows that Daniel's prayer to God is humble and penitent, and it's accompanied by fasting to show the earnestness and to, and to be focused on seeking the Lord in prayer. So we should always come to God in prayer with humility and with repentance and with an eager expectation that he is the one that we need to answer our prayer or we will be left without hope. And sometimes fasting is a good way for us to express that, for us to deprive ourselves of food for a period of time so that, so that we feel more deeply, even in our body, our need and that longing. And as we're hungry for food, we can, we can direct that longing to the Lord. And notice that Daniel is very, very honest about the sin of his people. He is not asking God to act on behalf of himself and his people because he thinks that they're so deserving. He doesn't come to God and say, Lord, I've kept your word. I've kept your statutes. We have really learned our lesson. We've really repented. We're really doing so much better. He doesn't try to butter God up. He doesn't try to whitewash things. He is very honest about the sin. He says, he says repeatedly, to you belongs righteousness, but to us belongs open shame. We've sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We've turned aside. To us belongs open shame. He's honest. And he's not just confessing his own sins, but he's confessing the sins of his people. Daniel was a righteous man. Daniel was an honest and sincere seeker of the Lord. Daniel was one who was really, we could say, blameless in his generation. But he is praying because he knows even his relative blamelessness and earnestness is not really all that God deserves. And he's very well aware of the kings and princes and fathers and rulers of the land from previous generations. And even those who are currently living who are not sincere, who are not seeking the Lord, who are not honoring God as they should. And so he prays a prayer of corporate repentance because he is part of of the people of God. And so on behalf of the people of God, he seeks the Lord 
for mercy and forgiveness because they've rebelled and they haven't obeyed. And he knows what they need from the Lord is indeed mercy and forgiveness. That is so important for us to realize that. We can't come to God making demands based upon our own righteousness or our own obedience. The other thing that we see is that he's asking God to act for the honor of his name. That because God's name is on his people and his city, and because it would be for the glory and honor of God's name to restore and rebuild them, that's what he is pleading for. But he's pleading. He's pleading very directly and very openly. Incline your ears, open your eyes, see the desolations of the city, forgive us, pay attention, act, don't delay. He is making bold and direct requests of God. Look, notice, act, restore, cause your face to shine, have mercy on us. But he's saying do so because of your righteousness, because of your mercy, and for the sake of your name. So that much is clear, and that prayer is just a brilliant prayer for us to model in our own private prayer life and also as we pray together as the church when we gather in worship. And then Gabriel brings an answer. And the answer is complicated. So there is a redemption coming. There's going to be an immediate very soon restoration to the city and there is going to be someone who's going to come along and be an anointed one but the the longer answer the the promised redemption is going to take time instead of 70 years it's 77s or 70 weeks and so there are basically three views about this passage one is that this 70 times 7 is 490 years, right? And that somehow this is leading up to uh, the events surrounding Antiochus Epiphanes that we looked at last time we were in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 8, that Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes, when he comes between 175 and 164, that he is going to be the one. He, he's the prince who comes against the people and who cuts off the sacrifices, etc., the problem with that view is that the math doesn't really add up. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes comes much, much sooner than 490 years after the decree to rebuild the city. So it is from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. There's going to be six or seven weeks and then 62 weeks, so a total of 69 weeks. And that's, you know, if that's... Uh, seven years shy of 490, so 483 years, it doesn't get you, you know, you're way past the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. The second view, which I'm very sympathetic to because this is prophetic literature and it's apocalyptic literature and the answer is given in such obviously symbolic numbers, is that the 77s are to be understood figuratively. In other words, there's going to be an initial period of time, an initial seven, some period of time, before there comes an anointed one, right? A prince. And there's going to be a rebuilding of Jerusalem with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. That could be referring to Zerubbabel, who is the initial governor who leads that initial wave 
of return and restoration and rebuilding. It could be a reference to Nehemiah, who, who ends up helping, helping to rebuild the walls. It could be a reference to somebody that we don't really know who they are, but it's someone who's coming soon, right? He's not. It's not going to be ages and ages before that guy gets here. But then there's a different Messiah who will be cut off and have nothing. And this different Messiah is going to make a strong covenant with one, with, um, sorry, he's going to make a strong covenant for, with many for one week. And then that week is divided up into two halves. So this part, most scholars agree, has to do with Jesus. Jesus is this Messiah who will be cut off and have nothing. He will be crucified and left with absolutely nothing. Even his clothing is gambled away while he's on the cross. He's left absolutely desolate with absolutely nothing. And there is the judgment that comes later on Jerusalem in AD 70, where it's, uh, it's destroyed by the Romans. Um, there are, there's desolation coming. And then there's also a covenant that Jesus makes, which brings an end to the sacrifices of the temple. Because when Jesus, when Jesus hangs on the cross, when the Son of God becomes cursed sin for us, that is an abomination. He's the most cursed person in the history of the world because all the concentration of God's wrath was put on Jesus. And, and by that sacrifice, he made the temple desolate. Remember that the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple was then empty and useless after that point. Now they continued to use it for another 40 years or so, but it was, it was really empty and useless. And so uh, in Revelation, we also have picked up on this idea of three and a half years or time times and half a time as being a reference for the church age for the time when God is working through the church. So one interpretation would see this final seven where there's half the week and then half the week where the first half of the week is a three and a half year period of time that refers to Jesus earthly ministry leading up to his death and resurrection. So from the anointing of Jesus at John the Baptist's baptism to his resurrection, ascension, and outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, three and a half years. And then the second three and a half years is then supernaturally extended to, to be the entire church age from Pentecost to the second coming. That's an interpretation. I like that interpretation because of the way Revelation picks up on this language of time times and half a time or three and a half years. So when we get to Revelation, we'll see some of that. If you want to see it now, you can look on the YouTube channel for the teachings that I did a while ago about Revelation, and you can pick up on those and get a little bit more information about it. But but it is definitely hard to understand. So I, it's not a passage where I get dogmatic and say, it has to mean this, and it can't mean anything else, because I think it's, it's, it's difficult enough that we have to respect the difficulty of it. And the numbers are certainly symbolic numbers, but I also do think that they correspond to real time periods. So that's my understanding of the difficult part. That really is saying, Jeremiah had said it would be seven years of exile. And so a restoration is coming. But just know that it's going to be another 490 years or so before the real restoration comes. And that real restoration comes when Jesus comes to bring salvation to his people through the covenant. And Jesus said that that covenant was made in his blood. And when he died, he made the temple desolate and he established a covenant with his people for 
a time times and half a time to use the language of Revelation. So I think the important takeaway we can get that's very clear and that ought to change us is the way that Daniel prays. We ought to pray more like that, in more humility, in more earnestness, in more open and honest confession of our sin, in more earnest pleas for God's mercy, and more for the glory of God's name. And then the part about the 70 weeks is we ought to trust God's timing. God knows what he's doing. God is in control. God is sovereign. God is bringing about his good purposes, and we can trust him. Let's pray. Father, sometimes it's hard to wait. Daniel had grown old in Babylon, waiting for the restoration of your people. And some of us have been waiting for years for Jesus to return and to bring us into the eternal glorious kingdom. But Father, you are patient, and you are loving, and you are kind, and you are good. And so we thank you that you have all things in your hands, and that you are bringing about your purposes for your world and for your people. Help us to trust you. Help us to confess our sin to you openly. Help us to seek your mercy. Have mercy on your people. Your church in America has been idolatrous, has been worldly, and we are exposed to open shame through our own guilt. And we need you. We need you to forgive us. We need you to restore us. We need you to strengthen us spiritually so that we are not so compromised and worldly and and blown about by every tossing wave and wind. Make us what you would have us to be and glorify yourself among us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for joining me for Daniel chapter 9. Tomorrow we are going to go back to Isaiah, picking up with Isaiah 61, which is actually the passage that Jesus read in the synagogue when he announced the beginning of his public ministry in Nazareth. So I hope you can join me for that. Isaiah 61 tomorrow. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.